0: Hello, and welcome back. If you're new, welcome, welcome, welcome to our podcast. If you're returning, thank you for returning and for opening your mind around this so-called disorder, ADHD. I had to make this very special episode because very often I get confronted by people who say, what do you mean ADHD is over? That's just, you're just trying to be provocative and you're just, uh, trying to steer up stuff and, and you, you're not acknowledging that it's a real disorder and you're saying it doesn't exist. And you know, many things, many, 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 many things come up. And I just felt like, you know, talking about it in a very scientific way, because most people that have these, what I call adverse reactions to our title, the title of our movement, of the film, of the book, of the podcast, those people usually then refer to scientific studies or, well, my daughter has ADHD and you're saying it's over and it's definitely not over for her. And you know, so in other words, nothing I'm going to say that comes from my own kind of gut feeling as in like, no, I really do think it can be over. Therefore I'm declaring it as over which is how a declaration starts, right? Declaration of independence didn't start with the country being independent. It had to first start with words being strung together into a declaration. That's what we do. We declare something, we then go out and make it happen. So our title ADHD is over is a declaration. Now, even that said, most people are still like, yeah, 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 whatever, I don't get it. You don't get it. Okay, so I thought, Let's do this little exercise during this episode. So for those of you listening, the reason why this episode I think is important is that if you, the listener, if you're really jiving, if you're vibing with this podcast, which I hope, and if you do, that's awesome. I'm excited to have you as my new friend. If you're really vibing with it and you want to recommend it to someone and they're giving you slack, even just around the title then perhaps you can explain it this way. It might be a little bit of a ammunition for you to say, well, I know what you're thinking, but here is what it is, right? And first of all, you can say it's a declaration. The person who created this podcast, me, is declaring something to be over in the future, just like the Declaration of Independence. You can use that example as well. Now, your friend or you or even you, if you're a, a, a critic or a doubter, which that's fine, you're welcome. Anyone's welcome here would say, well, okay, so it's a declaration. I get it. Yeah. 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 Okay. You're saying it's a declaration, but why do you even think it could be over? It's so widespread. It's impossible. It'll never be over. So I thought I'd look at the history of ADHD, sort of a timeline, right? And this goes back to roughly 1902. So in the early 1900s, like ADHD was actually first mentioned in 1902, not necessarily as ADHD, but just that what we now say is that condition, right? Those symptoms. It was a British pediatrician, Sir George Still, and he described it sort of an abnormal defect of moral control in children. Like they couldn't sort of morally control themselves, right? Based on whatever the morals were at the time, right? And so Sir George still found that some affected children could not control their behavior the way a typical child would, right? They were still intelligent, but they just could not control their behavior. And he says the way a typical child would. Now, again, I have to remember what's typical in the 1900s, especially early 1900s is certainly not typical today, right? So, uh, back then it wasn't really called ADHD at first. It was sort of this weird, uh, uh, you know, like, like he called it an abnormal defect of moral control in children. Right. And just so you know, um, for example, Ritalin wasn't introduced until 55. So that's almost 53 years later. So at the beginning, it was sort of a moral thing. There must be something wrong with these kids morally, you know, and only, only later in, in 55, when the FDA approved the psychostimulant Ritalin, you know, um, then it became, started to become popular as an ADHD treatment. And back then it was still called ADD. And so when we look at that, you know, the, at first it was called a hyperkinetic impulse disorder. And this is, uh, uh prior to the eighties. So prior to the eighties, it was called a hyperkinetic impulse disorder. Then it became ADD and around 87, it became ADHD. And this is the American Psychiatric Association revising their DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. So if we just pause here, I don't want to overwhelm you with terms, but if we just use Sir George Still's term of a abnormal defect of moral control in children, right, then we use the um, hyperkinetic disorder, right? Um, it was referred to as hyperkinetic impulse disorder. And then we take ADD. So you have three labels there that used to exist to describe the same symptoms that your child or you, or someone, you know, nowadays gets labeled with, right? The same symptoms that they're said to have ADHD. If they had lived back then in the fifties or before the eighties or late eighties, they would have had a different disorder. They would have said, I have hyperkinetic impulse disorder. Okay. The next person would have said, I have ADD. The person in the early 1900s would have said, oh, I have abnormal defect of moral control. And someone today will say, I have ADHD. Do you see how these labels, first of all, are made up And when I say made up, I don't mean made up out of thin air. That's not what we're saying. They're made up by psychiatric professionals, medical professionals, to describe a set of symptoms. So in 1902, when uh, our friend Serge George Still described it as an abnormal defect of moral control in children, he then started, you could say verbally, medically. Psychologically, psychiatrically passing out this label and children would identify as such or their parents would then label their children as such. And the same happened with the hyperkinetic impulse disorder, right? In the 80s or sorry, uh, uh, prior to the 80s. And in the 80s, uh, they changed it from hyperkinetic impulse disorder to ADD. So in the eighties you had ADD, but same symptoms pretty much, right? Every DSM version, they add a few more symptoms so they can catch more kids. I know this sounds vicious, but it's true. They're widening the net of symptoms because then you naturally catch more kids. Whether that's what they're intending to or not, that's what's happening. Wink, wink, maybe they are intending, maybe not, but that's what's happening. So when we say ADHD is over, it would be like someone in the 50s saying, or even earlier, that the abnormal defect of moral control in children is over. Or be like someone in the 80s saying that the hyperkinetic impulse disorder is over. Or like somebody saying ADD is over. I hope that sinks in, because those labels were eventually changed. Our commitment, our mission here is to not only change the label away from ADHD, right? Because we could then end up calling it something else like focus problem syndrome, FPS, I don't know, making this up. Our point is not to just change the label and make away with ADHD. Our point is to change it into an empowering label. Something that when you're looking at it, you don't feel instantly broken. Because even if a child is struggling with these so-called symptoms, we believe they're more behaviors, they're not symptoms. Symptoms is a medical term or a term made up by the medical profession, scientific, medical, psychiatric, psychological, you know, professions. It's not actually what's happening. What's happening is a behavior that we're witnessing. You witness your child behaving a certain way. You're not seeing a symptom. It only becomes a symptom once that behavior is classified under a label, AKA a disorder. Now it's a symptom of that disorder. But again, the disorder is made up, right? It's a little bit of a brain brain or a mind fuck I should say, but stay with me. And if this is very technical today, um, I apologize, but sometimes, you know, when I talk to people that are really not listening to the podcast or really not listening to what we're all about, and they're just judging by the name of our movement or a title of a podcast, I do want to break it down because you and I, if you're hopefully part of this movement and you support what we do, will encounter people who will say those things and say, that's not true. You have no scientific basis, no evidence. It doesn't make sense. It's not logic. You don't know all this stuff, right? And by the way, you can look this up. I will put uh, a link to to this sort of timeline of ADHD. It's from uh, healthline.com. I'll put that in the show notes so you can see for yourself um, where this ADHD came from. So again, when we say ADHD is over, First of all, it's a declaration, something that, yes, it's not over this second, it's a declaration. And second of all, so first of all, when we say ADHD over, it's a declaration. Second of all, we believe that it's possible to have a label be over because it's been done in the past. As I just illustrated, since 1902, up until today, it's changed four to five times. It's had a different name. So it can be over. But the third and the most important step is to have it be an empowering label. And you've heard me say this before, and I'm very proud of the veterans of the United States Army, who themselves have basically taken it into their own hands to remove the D, of PTSD when they talk amongst themselves. There is no D for them. They might have post-traumatic stress, but they do not continue spreading the word disorder around in their circles. Why? Because they are aware of the damaging effects even one word like that can have. Someone recently said, eh, stop saying disorder is a bad word. And, you know, they went on to say, it's just because our brains are not in order and it's disorder and blah, blah, blah. Hey, look, I get where you're coming from. But you should go talk to hundreds of thousands of veterans and explain that to them and have a conversation with them. It's not about who's right or who's wrong. But why do we think hundreds of thousands of veterans, people who've been exposed to trauma, stress, intense versions of it, have enough to deal with, then also to call themselves disordered, or let us call them disordered. So to me, that's a really good example of a population who said, this is not empowering, guys. Stop calling us disordered. Well, I'm here to say the exact same thing about ADHD. ADHD. For me, if I had a magic wand, because you might think, okay, Roman, so then if you had a magic wand, what would you do? What would be your wish? At minimum, at least, I would wish the word disorder to be gone from the DSM. That none of these quote-unquote disorders will ever be described again as a disorder. They might be described as a behavioral challenge as friction, as temporary something, something. I don't know. I don't work in that field. I'd be happy to sit in during the meeting when they rename the disorders. I'd give a lot to be there, even as a fly in the wall. But that's my point, is that we need to move to an empowering label. If we're going to continue labeling children or people, let it at least be a neutral, at least, or at best an empowering label. But right now it's a disempowering, damaging label. And you can fight me on that. You can come with with hundreds of reasons why that word should be there, why it has been there, why that's how it is, why I don't know what I'm talking about. That's fine. I still stand behind that claim that calling someone disordered is a damaging label, period. That's literally my stand and I will not budge until I die. So back to 1902. In 1902, again, it was a moral issue, a defect of moral control. Then leading up to the eighties, it was the hyperkinetic impulse control, sorry, hyperkinetic impulse disorder. Then in the eighties, it started to be ADD and now it's ADHD. And soon I've heard Russell Barkley, our friend on the other side, Camp Coping, labeling or naming a new disorder called sluggish cognitive tempo, SCT. Well, guess what? I believe that even pharmaceutical companies and players in the psychiatry and psychology world know that ADHD as a label probably has seen its day. And so it might be best to split off, run with some of those symptoms and create a new disorder. And as you can see from sluggish cognitive tempo, They've learned one thing, they've left off the disorder. That's good. That's smart. Yet some of those similar symptoms, again, are behaviors that they're using to classify someone as having that disorder. And so the pattern continues. I think they're smart enough to know that the details can change and, and they can adjust to the current times. But let me tell you, even when ADHD is over, such other disorders will continue to pop up. And so we don't want it to just, just be over as a as a definition and a label as a disorder in the DSM. What we also want to be done with is this pathologizing of children. It's this, this need to you know, to take these behaviors that children exude when they're challenged, when they're stressed, when they're feeling unsafe, when they've been traumatized, to take these behaviors and make them into symptoms so we can stick them in a box and label them and medicate them. Even if we don't medicate them, we're still sticking them in a box and labeling them. That's still a damaging uh, blow to a child's self-confidence. So I just wanted to make this episode so you have a little bit of something to give to someone who might, who you think might benefit from this episode, but who may call you crazy or call us crazy or say that, that the name of the podcast is BS, that we believe it doesn't exist and it's not real. And that that's not true, that we don't get it. Just have a quickie, quick conversation with them and say, look, it's a declaration. They want it to be over. Why? They know it will be because so many other versions of the ADHD label, previous names or iterations of it are now over. So who are we to say that ADHD can't be over at some point? I give it another five, maximum 10 years. That's sort of my prediction. So I hope this was of some value to you. Uh, Perhaps you can say this is a very personal, close to my heart episode I needed to record just to set some of the records clear. And I hope you got some value in terms of, uh, uh, doing a bit of research as parents, like I said, I'm going to put that link in the show notes where you can kind of look at the history of, um, ADHD on healthline.com from the early 1900s to today. And I encourage you to keep researching parents. Please do the research. There's so much out there beyond the first two pages of Google. I would say even the first 10, there's so many books that you haven't been, um, you know, that haven't been advertised that you haven't been targeted with on social media because these are called the alternative experts the crunchy granola people who supposedly don't know what they're talking about, who don't have the science. And I'm here to say I've now interviewed over a hundred experts and there's so much science as a matter of fact, I'm now starting to see a lot of pseudoscience. And by pseudoscience, I just mean when the other side cherry picks certain studies and takes out only certain results. And then uses all the money they got on the other side through pharma and the psychiatry, APA, and blasts that out to the public saying, here's what we found. Here's what's true. But they're only sharing with you a fifth of the study. And the rest of the study, if really analyzed, actually proves the opposite. So that's what I call pseudoscience. You know, for us, sometimes pseudoscience is just totally made up. In this case, they're not always making it up. Usually there's some scientific basis to it, but it's cherry-picked. So be aware of that. Don't just listen to one side. You know, if you're totally sold on our side, also read some of the other books on, on, on you know, the Russell Barkley and Ed Hallowell and all these guys. Read some of those books too, you know. Get an audiobook and read a few chapters. Be informed on both sides because then you can make a truly informed decision. And I know some of you have told me this that you really are coming at this, you know, with your gut feeling. And that's great. And and we did that too, mostly. But it was really while we were doing intensive extensive research on this that My gut feeling suddenly was also backed up by science and backed up by many experts around the world, like international psychiatrists and psychologists, you know, authors, speakers, doctors that are in their seventies that have clear evidence, case studies after case study showing that what they're saying, which is not to use medication. But to work on the people, the family members, the parents first, then the children, to work on the environment rather than just shoving a pill in their mouth is actually a way to dissolve these symptoms. There's hundreds of experts like that, thousands. And our attempt is to bring them together to unite this front so we can finally reach a tipping point and declare that it's over. It's run its course. Now let's give people the power to heal their families from within. Let's not keep promoting to these families that they should outsource the healing, that they should take a pill or figure out a new strategy or get a new tip, use a new cream or use a new device, use a new, anything external to do the healing. Now the external part, plays, of course, a role, much like a Band-Aid, right? The Band-Aid isn't a part of the body's natural healing process of healing a wound, but it aids the body. It helps the body while it's healing to not make things worse. So anything external is great. Lots of things work, lots of things don't. You have to kind of test that out for yourself, parents. Don't let any, anybody tell you this method only works for everyone, because it doesn't. You got to try them out. But as long as you know that any of those outside, those external methods or therapies or medications, that any of those items are simply to be used as band-aids, as temporary relief, temporary support, while we trust that the body can do the healing. And of course, children need help from their parents. Children often at a very young age, especially when it comes to trauma or psychological healing, obviously needs support. I mean, us adults, we need support. You know, we go to a therapist, Um, but especially children. So as long as you're aware of that, that the Band-Aid is okay to aid the healing of the wound. But once we use Band-Aids for long-term healing, That's when the dependency starts. That's when suddenly our body realizes, well, unless I have the Band-Aid, I guess I can't really function. I can't heal myself. So I need a Band-Aid. So go get a Band-Aid. Band-Aid gets old, put a new Band-Aid on it, right? That's the dependency. That's the addiction eventually that children will display to something outside of themselves. And guess what's going to take the first hit? is their self-confidence that I'm not whole. I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I need others to help me. I need a thing. I need a pill. I need a, a this, I need a, that only then can I function in life. And there's now so much evidence that children with the so-called disorder ADHD, who got put on stimulant medication, actually into their adult years, are more dependent people on outside sources. And that includes cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, dependency in relationships, addictions, that is now a scientific fact, my dear parents. There is science out there showing that, and there has been science since the early nineties. You can Google Nadine Lambert who was at Berkeley, who did a study on Ritalin with children and followed them for 30 years into their adulthood. And she proved exactly that, that it was actually not the children that weren't medicated because the other side always says, well, if children with ADHD are not medicated, they will later become addictive and, you know, self-medicating and go to prison and go to jail and be druggies and blah, 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 car wrecks, accidents, drunkies, right? Drunkies, did I make that up? I don't know. But anyway, that's what the other side says. Nadine Lambert in the 90s already proved the opposite, the complete opposite. Now that study, of course, was squashed by the other side and she later died before she could actually officially publish the study, but those studies exist. And if you Google Nadine Lambert Ritalin study, you will see. But those are not things that are told to you, the parent on Amazon or Google, when you first research ADHD, there's a loud narrative now present. It's very loud and the loudest narrative is always backed up with the most amount of money and the most amount of money comes from the most powerful companies, the interests and that in the ADHD case are the pharmaceutical companies. There's no doubt. And I'm not even yet pointing a finger. Not even pointing a finger here, just using the follow the money method to show that that's how it works. If we had the same amount of money on our side as the pharmaceutical companies did, then the loudest narrative would be our narrative. Now, some people then might argue, well, your narrative is too loud because some kids still do need medication and they're probably right. Then you'd have to research past you know, page number 10 on the Google search results to find out some links to some psychiatrists who subscribe, you know, who prescribe medication for those children who really need it. Right. If we flip the tables, that's just to say, it's not magic. It's not anything. It's not brain surgery here. We're just following the money. And then we see the patterns. So, I know as parents, you don't have the time, <clears throat> excuse me, you don't have the time and energy to do all this research. That's why we're doing it for you. Not for you, we're doing it for us. But we want to share this with you because ultimately you need to do your own research. You need to take even what we say not for granted. Go use Google, go to your library, talk to people, read books on both sides, and then make up your mind. And look, I've met many parents who are like, I'm scared i I I gotta I don't have time and energy. I'm divorced, I have three jobs, and my son's not doing well at school, and I have two other kids, and I you know have money to survive and da, da, da. it's like I don't judge anyone for doing what they're doing. I don't judge anyone for medicating their children. What I do judge it is if it's done um, ignorantly with with not giving both sides a chance. But if someone tells me, I know, I know what you're saying is true, but right now we are medicating as long as, you know, for this school year and we're looking for another school or we're looking for a different way, that's great. No judgment there. I think I've always just had an allergy to ignorance. And I'm not saying I'm the most non-ignorant person, I have my own ignorant moments, so you can judge me for that as well. I mean, we're human. We all do that. But you know, when we're talking about children and their mental health, I can get very passionate by saying, it's not fair to your son's or daughter's life to just charter down one path without exploring the other. That's all I'm saying. That's all we hope this podcast can do for you or someone, you know, someone you love that's dealing with this. So that was it for, um, for today. The disorder formerly known as ADHD. I'm curious to what it would be called in the future. I'm really excited. Let's see what happens. If you have any suggestions, go to ADHDsover.com and send us an email. Stay in touch. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, you know, please, if you like this episode, if you like this podcast, spread the word, send it around, write us a review, stay in touch. We'd love to have you back until next time. Have an amazing day, wherever you're at.